بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد so it has been quite a long break inshallah it was beneficial spiritual break of ramadan and may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all our ibadat in the month of ramadan and forgive all our transgressions in the month of ramadan where we do not value it the way it deserves to be valued and uh we were literally covering one hadith where we had in our last lesson just covered the sanad and right where the matan starts that's where we had stopped um and we are again speaking about the wahi of rasulullah sallallahu the wahi that came upon rasulullah sallallahu we have limited time as we have to finish before the adhan of isha so uh, alhamdulillah as our uh, beloved brothers and ansar they have been working so hard on the recordings, I'm not sure if you were able to look through them. It was a very uh, time-consuming labor that they did, where they went through and they listened to all of the recordings, and they made timestamps for every single point that was mentioned. It was a very humbling thing for me to see how much effort they put into uh, these few things that I share with. Um, may Allah reward them abundantly for that. So. Particularly since it has been such a long gap, I strongly recommend that we all go back, at least listen to the last recording to bring us up to speed. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. وبسند المتصل منا إلى الإمام الهمام محمد بن إسماعيل البخاري اليماني الجعفي أمير المؤمنين في الحديث ما تعنى الله بعلومه وعلومهم آمين يا رب العالمين قال حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن هشام بن عروة عن أبيه عن آئشة أم المؤمنين رضي الله عنها أن الحارث بن هشام رضي الله عنه سأل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال يا رسول الله كيف يأتيك الوحي فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أحيانا يأتيني مثل صلصلة الجرس وهو أشده علي فيصم عني وقد وعيت عنه ما قال وأحيانا يتمثل لي الملك رجلا فيكلمني فأعي ما يقول قالت عائشة رضي الله عنها ولقد رأيته ينزل عليه الوحي في اليوم الشديد البرد فيفصم عنه وإن جبينه لا يتفصد عرقا So this is the text of the hadith with the matan uh, with, the, with the sanad and the matan both So Imam Bukhari, our sanad to Imam Bukhari, we covered on the first night. And from Imam Bukhari, he says, Haddathana Abdullah bin Yusuf, he narrates from his teacher, Abdullah bin Yusuf, who narrates from his teacher, Imam Malik, Imam Malik ibn Anas, who narrates from his teacher, Hisham bin Urwa, uh, who narrates from his father, An Abihi, Urwa ibn Zubair, radiallahu anhum, An Aishata, who narrates uh, from his khala, Aisha umm al-Mu'mineen, radiallahu anha. So these individual names and brief biographies of them was the entire last lesson. This is how far we got. And then he goes to say, Anna al-Harith ibn Hisham. That Harith ibn Hisham radiallahu anhu, this is now the character, the individual involved in the, the final story that's coming. Not much of a story, he asks a question, he gets an answer. But he is the actual individual who's part of the text of the hadith now. Harith ibn Hisham. Do we recall anyone, Harith ibn Hisham? We had mentioned about him. This is the last name we covered, Harith ibn Hisham. I mentioned that uh, his brother, 
was unfortunately uh, infamous figure in our in this uh, in our ummah Abu Jahl Amr ibn Hisham and <coughs> so he was the real brother haqiqi brother there are different types of brothers one is called shaqiqi shaqiqi means that they share the same father and mother then there's allati allati brothers they share the same father different mothers then there's akhyafi brother akhyafi brothers share the same mother different fathers so half brothers uh, half brothers from the father's side half brothers from the mother's side and then those that share the same father and the same same mother so he was a real blood brother shaqiq is known as shaqiq shaqiqi brother real brother of abu jahl so his name here you see is hisham no uh, sorry harith bin hisham and abu jahl was his kunniya was he was he's no more as abu jahl uh, but his actual name is Amr bin Hisham. In the dua of Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam for the guidance, it was that, "O oh Allah, grant he die either to Amr or Umar." Right. Amr bin Hisham or Umar bin Khattab. So Allah subhanahu wa taala granted he die to Umar bin Khattab. So there is a big difference between Abu Jahl and Umar radhiyallahu taala anhum. Abu Jahl being, of course, the greatest enemy of Islam in this ummah, and Umar radiallahu anhu being who he was. Subhanallah, the second Khalifa of Islam. Rabbi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لَوْ كَانَ بَعْدِي نَبِيًّا لَكَانَ عُمَرٍ If there would be a Nabi after me, it would be Umar. And since we're talking about the comparison between uh, Umar bin Khattab and Umar bin Hisham, if you keep in mind the fact that they would... Uh, till today, we do not write harakat, right? Dhamma, Fatha, Kasra, Zabar, Zerpesh in Arabic. Just like when you're reading Ur Urdu or Farsi or any other language that uses these uh, same letters, like Turkish used to be the same way until Mustafa Kamal came and he changed the, the Turkish language and made it Latin. So, Latin letters. So, if you don't have Dhamma, Fatha, Kasra, right? In Urdu or in Farsi or any other language that uses these letters. Likewise, in Arabic. Now, if you have Umar bin Khattab and Umar bin Hisham, Abu Jahal, how would you spell it? Ain Mim Ra. So, what's the difference between Umar and Amr? Umar, if you write it down, look at it. Um, we don't have any, any Umar on this page here, do we? No, because we have Haris bin Hisham, he's a brother of Amr. But you can imagine, how would you write Umar and how would you write Amr? It'd be Ain Mim Ra. Ain Mim Ra, right? So the difference, Ji? You want me to do notepad? Okay, I, I mean, we can do that, but it's not such a big deal. I, wanna, I don't want to go too long with this. But the thing is, Ain Mim Ra, as could be Umar or Amr. It depends on the Dhamma Fatha Kasra. So if there's a Dhamma on the Ain, it's Umar, or if there's a Fatha, it's Amr. So how are you supposed to say? Because one of them is going to be Khalifa uh, Thani. The Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Allah, Allah Mahdi, Allah grant Hidayah to Umar or Amr. So which one is it? Right? So uh, subhanAllah, this is interesting. So to ensure that there is no mistake, the, the way of writing Amr is that they add a silent wow after the Ra. So the way to actually spell Amr is Ain Mim Ra in a wow. It doesn't mean Amru, 
No, that wow is completely silent. That's just to distinguish between Umar and Amr. So this is, he was the brother of Abu Jahl and, and subhanAllah, his cousin. I had mentioned his cousin. Does anyone remember his cousin? Because you don't want to say brother of Abu Jahl. That gives a bad taste. So we said he was cousin of Khalid bin Walid. Maybe someone remembers. It's, I don't blame anyone. It's been a long time. So um, I mentioned the whole thing about Khalid bin Walid bin Mughira and his father Walid bin Mughira and he's the brother of Hisham bin Mughira. Hisham bin Mughira and Walid bin Mughira were brothers. Walid bin Mughira, his son was Khalid bin Walid and Hisham bin Mughira, his sons were Abu Jahl, Amr and this one Harith. This Harith bin Hisham, he fought against is the Muslims in the Battle of Badr. And he was on the side of the Mushrikeen. Then at the time of Fatih Makkah, the conquest of Makkah, he accepted Islam. Finally, Alhamdulillah, he became a Sahabi of Rasulullah uh, along with his nephew. And we covered one whole session, like an hour on the nephew's acceptance of Islam. Who was his nephew? Ikrama. Ikrama bin Abi Jahl. Perhaps we cannot forget that story. Because that had a very nice romantic twist to it. How his wife loved him so much. Remember? And brought him. Okay, so alhamdulillah, we can remember that. How much, what should I say, loyalty and devotion his wife had for him that she dragged him to Islam. This is such a beautiful love that she had for the sake of Allah. So, so Ikrama bin Abi Jahl, the nephew accepted Islam. He also accepted Islam. And then in the battle of Hunayn, which happened after Fatih Makkah, he was among the Mu'allafatul Qulub, those new converts to Islam that Rasulullah distributed the spoils of war in large amounts to them because they were new converts. And then, Alhamdulillah, if we say, wow, he fought against Islam in Badr and he did this and he, he barely made it in Hunayn and he got a lot of money out of it. What did he do? Did he do anything good? Subhanallah, he gave his life. In the battle of Yarmouk, he was a shaheed. He was a shaheed. He got... Along with Ikram bin Abi Jahal, his nephew, he himself also, and other great leaders from the Banu Mahzum and from the Quraysh, they gave their lives in the battle of Yarmouk and they turned the tide of the battle. So this Harith bin Hisham, عنه, he says, Sa'ala Rasulullah He asked Nabi sallallahu alayhi Okay, so he asked the question, Sa'ala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi um, And he said, Ya Rasulullah, O Nabi of Allah, O Messenger of Allah, الوحيو? How does the wahi come to you? Now the question here is, is this hadith uh, something narrated by Aisha radiallahu anha? Is she the end of the chain? Meaning, would this be considered among the masanid of Aisha? Meaning it is attributed to Aisha radiallahu anha that she is the one who is the final narrator up to Rasulullah That is known as the... As a, a hadith which is Musnad, ila Aisha radiallahu anha, it is her masanid, it is her, her narration that she narrates directly from Rasulullah Is that the case? Or is it such that she is just one of the narrators in the chain? And the actual final end of the chain is Harith bin Hisham. Okay? So, now there are two ways to look at it. One is, Was she present when the question was asked or not? That will determine. If when Harith bin Hisham is asking the question, she hears the question and she hears the answer. Okay, this is very significant. 
from a Usul Hadith perspective, that if Harith bin Hisham asks a question, she's there on the scene and she hears the response of Rasulullah this will be considered amongst her Masanid, meaning Hadith that she narrates directly from Rasulullah because she heard the exchange. So if you have any Hadith where uh, a Sahabi narrates that this and this happened, so-and-so came, asked his question, Nabi Sallallahu answered, but he is witnessing that fact. So that would be his narration. It would go under his chapter. When you have like a, uh, like Muslim Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, where the hadith are not classified according to what? The subject matter, rather they are classified according to the final narrator. So the final narrator, would this hadith go under the chapter of Harith bin Hisham? Or does it go under the chapter of Aisha? That's the question. So this will go under the chapter of? Aisha, because she was there, she heard the exchange and she's narrating it. And the other option is that she was not there. And Harith bin Hisham, radiallahu anhu, he was, uh, had this incident, he asked a question to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi gave him the answer. And this incident happened. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam perhaps even passed away, is gone. To the Alam of Barzakh. And then he... Uh, informs Aisha radiallahu anha what, what happened. So she was not present when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said the words, the following words. But if she says this is what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, here she mentions the name, but she doesn't say uh, that I heard from Harith bin Hisham. She just says this is what happened. So this would be known as a mursal of a sahabi. A mursal, mursal narration is where you have like, a, uh, in this case it's a sahabi, but it could be a tabi'i. For example, if a tabi'i, he skips the, the name of the sahabi. Like Ibrahim Nakha'i, for example. He doesn't mention that he heard from Abdullah bin Mas'ud. He just says, Qala Rasulullah sallallahu kada wa kada. Nabi sallallahu said this and that. But you're a tabi'i, you weren't there. This, is, this one is a little bit confusing because she could have been there. She was, she's definitely wife of Rasulullah Sahabi herself. But in certain cases, it's very clear. Like if a tabi'i, he doesn't mention the name of a sahabi and he just says, Qala Rasulullah What do you know for a fact? You know for a fact that there's a sahabi missing. Right? Is that clear? How can, how can, how can a tabi'i just say, Qala Rasulullah? So that narration, you'll see this word, oh, that's a mursal narration. Right? The mursal narration is where the, the tabi'i, he just says, Qala Rasulullah, and he skips and he omits the name of the sahabi. And this is a very, very major, big discussion amongst the scholars of hadith. What, what is the status of a mursal narration? So it depends. Like Ibrahim al uh, for example, he says that when there may be even slightest doubt, did Nabi Wasallam say it or not, then I mentioned the names. Hey, this is what he said that he heard. That Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi said this. And only when I'm super 100% confident, without a doubt, this is exactly what Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi said, only then I make irsal and I just say directly, Qara Rasulullah So that's why with respect to him, and he is a very, very great faqih and imam of Kufa, you know, the, the, like for example, in Usul, this is where the Usul Hadith intersects with Usul Al-Fiqh. The Fuqaha Hanafiya, they say that the marasil of Ibrahim and Nakhari are aqwa, are more qawi, are more strong than, the, than if it is, the sanad is mentioned explicitly. Others, of course, will say that no, no, if it's mursal, it's daif because he's skipping the narrator. So there's a whole discussion about that. But 
by and large, there is a consensus of all the scholars of hadith that if a sahabi has a mursal narration, then it is a hujjah, it is an evidence. Because a sahaba kulluhum adul. All the sahaba, they are at the highest level of narrators. Okay. It is, you know, this is significant because you have example of, you know, you'll say like, how can there be a mursal narration? Another a very common example of this is Abu Hurairah If we are aware of the fact, you know, two, two historical facts. Number one is that he is narrating the most ahadith, right? More than 5,700 odd hadith. Everyone knows that, I'm sure, that he is number one in the narrators of hadith. But maybe we forget the fact that he actually was one of the latest ones to come on the scene, right? He came only last two and a half years. Two years and some months of Rasulullah's life. So if Abu Hurairah is saying, Qala Rasulullah this, Qala Rasulullah some that, many times he may not have been on the scene because it was before he accepted Islam, the, the whole story of the Qabila of those. It's another beautiful tangent. I was looking at the timestamps, it says tangent, this one, tangent, that one. It was, I was feeling so bad when I saw all those tangents. So I'm going to try to cut down. But there's, this, there's a whole tangent, this amazing tangent. Look it up, how the Qabila of those accepted Islam and their leader came and all of that. To fail and all of that. So he accepted Islam and he came much later. And he's saying, Qala Rasulullah in Makkah this. Was he in Makkah? 13 years in Makkah he wasn't there. In Medina also, about 8 years he wasn't there. So when he narrates it, or then you have the whole category of Sigharu uh, Sahaba. Like Abdullah bin Abbas or um, you have Abdurrahman anhu or even like Hassanin, Hassan radiallahu anhu and Hussein radiallahu anhuma, the grandchildren of Rasulullah sallam. If they say Qara Rasulullah what is that? More likely it could be a morsel narration. So there is two now. Um, there is evidence to indicate if you look in Musnad Imam Ahmad and Mu'adim Baghawi, there's a narration from Amir bin Salih Zubairi in which uh, Aisha radiallahu anha clearly explicitly says I heard this from Harith bin Hisham he narrated to me the story so what does that tell you now that she was not present when this exchange occurred this is a morsel narration of Aisha radiallahu anha since even if it is a morsel narration it is a morsel of a sahabi from the perspective of the strength of the hadith it would not be affected but if it was a morsel of ghair sahabi Potentially, it could have been affected. Now, what happens? He asks a question. What is the question? He said, How does the wahi come to you? Why was he asking the question? Was there any doubt that he had? Like nowadays, we live in an age of skepticism, age of doubt. So people, when they have doubts, they say, Oh, how is this and how is that? Was that the case? So the answer to that is no. Absolutely not. He had no doubt. He had yaqeen that Nabi Sallallahu was receiving wahi. His question was uh, not to ask to confirm whether it occurs or not, but rather he was asking regarding the kayfiyah. How does it happen? That's why he used the word kayfa. How does it happen? An example of this is the, the Jalil al-Qadr, the Ulul Azam min al-Rasul, Ibrahim alayhi salam, Khalilullah. He was the father of Tawheed. He was a great prophet of Allah. And Allah has ordered Nabi Sallallahu to follow Millat Abikum Ibrahim. And in the Quran, 
He asked a question to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. With Qala Ibrahimu, Rabbi Adini, remember when Ibrahim alayhi salam, he asked Allah, oh Allah, show me, Kayfa. Same thing here, Kayfa, Ya'tika al-Wahyu. He said, Kayfa, Tuhil Mota. How do you bring the dead back to life? So, can there be a doubt that subhanAllah, Ibrahim alayhi salam had doubt about, uh, can there be uh, this objection that Ibrahim alayhi salam had a doubt about life after death? No. He already believed in it. He was asking, can you show me how it happens? Because Allah Ta'ala thereafter said, Qala, awalam tu'min. Oh Ibrahim, do you not believe? Qala, bala. He said, why not? Definitely I believe. Walakin inna qalbi. So, but rather I will have full comfort by able to, by, so I can observe how it's going to happen. Allah Ta'ala said, take four birds. Take them, tame them, train them, that when you call them, they come to you. Then slaughter them, take off their feathers, and make uh, minced meat out of them, and mix them all together, the meat of the four birds. Then put a, a portion of the ground meat of the birds on four mountaintops. Then call them, Then call them, subhanAllah, and the, the ground beef, the ground, not ground beef, ground bird meat, subhanAllah, ground bird meat. Big bird, or small bird, ground bird. Okay, anyway, it's going to be coming together from the four mountains, and the feathers, subhanAllah, are going to come on top of it, and they're going to fly to you. So likewise, now, subhanAllah, scholars of, of hadith and tafsir together, they say that Ibrahim salam was asking Allah regarding the min khasa'isil uluhiyyah. That as an ilah, this is your specific, unique attribute, you bring the dead back to life. Oh Allah, show me how it happens. And here, Harith bin Hisham was asking Rasulullah about the kafiyah of min khasa'isil nubuwah. That was khasa'is of uluhiyyah, special, unique quality only the ilah Allah has. And here he was asking a question that, that is unique to only the Anbiya receive. That how, does you, how do you receive the Wahid? Right? Then, <coughs> now what was the answer he gave? So he said, Sometimes it comes to me like the ringing of a bell. And this form of inspiration, it is the hardest of them all. And when this state passes off, then I have already grasped what has been revealed, what, has been, uh, what I have been inspired with. It is preserved in my heart when this condition passes. And sometimes the angel comes in the form of a human being. And then it talks to me. And then I grasp whatever he says. So there are two ways mentioned in this particular hadith. And then after that, there is just a comment of Aisha about her own observation, which is separate from the above. She says, and I have indeed verily seen the Prophet Sallallahu the Wahi is being inspired upon him. On the coldest day, and when the, the Wahi is finished, the transmission is complete, 
And the sweat is dropping from his forehead. So, Nabi answered in two scenarios. He mentioned. In one, he mentions the kafia of the wahi itself. And in the second, he mentions the kafia of the sahib al wahid the angel that is bringing the wahi down. Because if you look at there are two answers. First one, he says, like the ringing of a bell. So that's how the wahi comes, like the ringing sound of a bell. And the second one, he says, the angel comes in the shape of a human being. That's not wahi, that's the hamir al-wahi. The one who is bringing the wahi comes in the shape of a human being. So he answers, he answers in two, two ways. In first answer he gives is the kafiyah of the wahi itself. And in the second answer he gives the kafiyah of the one who is carrying the wahi to him. What is the meaning of salsala? Salsalat al-jaras. Jaras is a bell. And salsala is a continuous ringing sound. What is this continuous ringing sound of the bell describing? Whose sound is it? So there are different opinions about it. One opinion is this sound, continuous ringing sound. Number one is this is regarding the wings of the angels. Now which angel is either, it could be either the, the wings of just Jibreel Amin, Ruh Al-Amin, Sayyidul Malaika, his wings, he has enough wings. For example, if you have a flock of birds that are startled and they all fly off, there will be a, a fluttering sound. So one angel himself has hundreds of wings. Additionally, there are uh, guard angels, front guard, rear guard, side guard, that are coming with Jibreel when he is bringing the revelation down to guard it. Even though he doesn't need any guard, he is muta'in thamma amin. He is the one who is obeyed in the heavens. He is Sayyidul Malaika. But just to add further honor, subhanAllah, to the revelation, there is an entire jama'ah and group of angels that comes down with Jibreel So all of those angels, their wings could be creating this sound. Um, or some say that just as they are traveling through the atmosphere and coming down, it could be creating that sound. And there is, of course, one objection that comes about this sound that, okay, if it's an angel sound, their wing sound, etc., why is it not possible for the others who are around to be able to hear it? So the answer to that is, subhanAllah, there are two things. One is the physical world that we are living in, and one is the metaphysical world. The physical world is made up of all the components, uh, the, com uh, the elements on the periodic table of elements, and these are the things that are masmu'ah, we can hear, and uh, we can see, we can um, taste, see, hear, touch, feel, with our physical senses. We have some level of perception of those things. That is the alamul mushahada. Then there is an entire alamul ghayb. So alamul ghayb is something that is beyond our physical senses. 
And when we are leaving this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open our ears and open our eyes so we will be able to witness those things. Right at the last minute when we are transitioning from this alamul mushahada to the alamul ghayb, there is a bridge and that bridge is the time of death. When a person will begin to see those things. And that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in Surah Al-Qaf. Now we have removed the covering over your eyes. Now your vision is clear. You can begin to see the angels of death, the angels, all of that will become visible. Just like a deaf person, he cannot hear. So the fact that the deaf person cannot hear the sound cannot be used as an evidence or a proof that the sound is not there. So if somebody is speaking, Nick, if I'm speaking to you now and there's a deaf person here and he says, I cannot hear anything. So because he gave the report, Wallahi, I swear to God, I cannot hear anything. Will we reach the conclusion that I'm not saying anything? No. Rather, that is his issue that he cannot hear. So likewise, the fact that we cannot hear is no evidence that the sound is not there. And another interpretation of this is that just like we have an alarm or the phone rings, and when the phone rings, this is an indication for us to pick it up or f become focused. Likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would uh, have this ringing sound, would be created. The purpose of it is not just, by the way, uh, the sound of the angel's wings or, their, or, or them traveling. Rather, it was something which was an, uh, a maqsood bidhat, meaning an objective sound. It was, a, it was a purposeful sound. It was not happening by the way. And this was an alarm for Nabi Wasallam to alert him that drop what you are doing, focus with your heart as the wahi and the revelation will begin. SubhanAllah. That's another beautiful interpretation. Now, when we're talking about sound and salt, like the angels, they're having their, the sound. The question comes that, what about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself? And this is a very, very important aqidah issue. When it comes to the Qur'an, is the Qur'an is a kalam of Allah, the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He is giving the kalam, does He have salt or not? So, this is an important issue because there are two extremes that the Ummah has gone to. And this issue is not limited to salt or kalam, but can extend to all of those words which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses for himself in the Quran and can lead to a certain confusion because he is using such words which human beings use for themselves and we use for ourselves. So, you have for example, Yadullahi fawqa idihim, which literally translates, the hand of Allah is over their hands. Or, that that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made istiwa on the arsh. Istiwa means to sit. One of the meanings. Right? To be firmly established. So you have all these words. Likewise, you have that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a kalam. And does that kalam have a sot, have a voice or not? What are, uh, is, has the word sot, which means voice, been attributed to Allah? 
in any hadith or Quran, in the Quran, Sawt is not used for Allah. Kalam has been used for Allah. But uh, Sawt comes in the hadith. What are some of the hadith where the word Sawt, voice, has been used for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? In Kitab Tawheed Imam Bukhari, he mentioned the hadith uh, of Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. إِذَا تَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ بِالْوَحِي سَمِعَ أَهْلُ السَّمَوَاتِ شَيْئًا When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does kalam of his wahi, then the angels in the skies, they hear something. They hear something. So if they're hearing something, there has to be something to be heard. Otherwise, how can you hear it? So that, that proves salt. فَإِذَا فُزِّيَ عَنْ قُلُوبِهِمْ وَسَكَنَ الصَّوْتُ عَرَفُوا أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ And then when the revelation comes to an end, and the voice becomes silent. They know from the bottom of their hearts that this is the truth. And then now they call out. When the proclamation is made, what has your Lord revealed? They say, it is the truth. Subhanallah. So the angels, um, they hear this. Now, they get knocked out to become unconscious. When they come back to conscious and they were asked, what was that? They say it is the haq. Another narration is Abdullah bin Anis radiallahu anhu. There's a narration. He says, Allah will resurrect the servants. He will call out to them. He will call out to them with such a voice that the one who is near and the one who is far. The one who is far can hear it as good as... Uh, as easily as the one who is, and the one who is far can hear it as easily as the one who is near. And he will say, Anal Malikud Dayyan, that I am the great king. So again, there is a soul. So there are two extremes. One extreme are those who just say that, SubhanAllah, Allah Ta'ala has a soul, not a problem. And uh, they end up falling into the fitna of Tajseem. Tajseem or Tashbih. Tajseem is the worst form of it. Tajseem means the na'udhu billah. They start attributing physical shape to Allah. Very, very scary thing. So if you say, subhanAllah, when you say sot, means a voice. So you have like, na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah. There's a, some type of vocal cord involved. Some type of passing of breath over that. Some type of sound emanating. Then articulation of that into words through you know, human beings at least, we have tongue, na'udhu billah, and teeth, and maharaj, that we learn in tajweed. So they don't care about all that. They say, no, 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 he just has a voice. And some of them go far to give a physical shape. That's tajseem. Some of them just say, no, it's a voice, and they don't. And then they say, wait, you are saying it's like our voice? Yeah, it may be. You're saying Allah is like us? No, no, he's not like us. But then you're saying he has a voice just like us? Yeah. So it's very, very confusing. And they con they're confused themselves and they confuse others. The only reason I'm mentioning it is because such people exist and we have to be aware of that. So what happens is that they are contradicting themselves, right? We have to understand one very basic principle. When something is established, then when you establish something, then that which is necessary for that thing to be established, whether you accept it or not, you have already established it. You can't establish something in that which is necessary for it to be established, you say, no, that's not the case. So, for example, 
if I say that I am son of Dr. Misbahuddin, so then I said that statement, so that in means that Dr. Misbahuddin is my father. So if I say, Na'udhu Billah, Na'udhu Billah, if I say, yes, I am son of Dr. Misbahuddin, but Dr. Misbahuddin is not my father. Could that make sense? You say, wait, how can you say that? You just said he's your father. No, I never said he's my father. I said I'm his son. I said I'm his son. Did I say, I? if I say Dr. Musbuddin is my father, then I say, no, Dr. Musbuddin is not my father. What happened here? I contradicted myself. I never said, I only said I'm his son. Did I say he's my father? No. So now I reject he's my father. Can that make sense? No. Because when I said I'm his son, then by default, that's sabata shayun sabata bilawazimi. When I say I'm his son, then by default, that means he's my father. So these people, these are very commonly, you know, frankly speaking, the Salafis, the Hashawis, those who are close to Tashbih, they say, for example, Lillahi yadun. Allah has a hand. Right? And they say, don't make Allah is sitting on the throne, physically sitting on the throne. And so they are giving tashbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to our creation. We say that do not interpret it. Like for example, Lillah Yad, Allah used the word Yad. If you say it is a hand, it definitely is a hand. The confusing part is, you know, if they went so far as to make outright tashbih and say, yeah, it is a real hand and he has a physical uh, limb coming out from a body, then you would go straight to to tajseen. They don't do that. They say, no, no, no. It is a real hand, but the kafiyah of that hand, how the nature of that hand is, we don't know. It's not like our hands. We will say that, no, you cannot take the word yadun. See, we say it's ma'ana and it's kafiyah. What actually is meant by yad? Allah uses the word yad for himself. The meaning of the word yad and the kafiyah of that yad, both Allah knows. Our general principle is that Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, Laysa kamislihi shay. None of the creation is like unto him in anything. Laysa kamislihi shay. None of the creation is like unto Allah Ta'ala in any aspect. No one is equal to Allah in any way. He has no children, nor offspring, nor parents. So if we say, oh, like these Salafis say, Hashabi say, Ibn Taymiyyah himself, etc., that Allah has a hand, the meaning of it is a hand, it, but the kafi of that we don't know. We cannot do that. Because when you say a hand, what does a hand mean? The mana. The mana of a hand is basically you have to have some type of central body and then there are limbs protruding from it. The lower ones would be called rigid legs, the upper ones would be called yadun hand. So just like when I said, when I say I'm some, uh, I'm Zbahuddin Sahib's father, uh, son, that means by default he's my father. Likewise, if you say that there is, Yadun means hand, then you are, you are affirming what? A central torso, and you are affirming what? A protruding limb. You can't get away from it and say you didn't mean that. You just said it. Mufti Taqi Usmani Sahib, I remember I was reading a lot of times, see the thing is, I was a student, I used to read this back and forth, it's very confusing because they keep on saying, no, no, it's not like our hand, he's not like the creation. Who? The Salafis say that. So then you're like, wait, whenever they say he's not like us, you think they're on the right track. 
But then they, then they force it and say, no, but it is a hand. So it becomes very confusing. Are they doing tatsim or not? So he explained it very nice. I remember as a student reading Dersa Tirmizi, he said the problem is they're establishing that yad is the mana of it is it is a hand. And then the nature of the hand we don't know. Whereas we say the mana of it as well. Does yadun mean hand? No, we don't know what it means. Allah used the word yad for himself, and that is what we say, as befitting him. Even translating it from yad to hand, we will not do. We will say the mana of it, the meaning of it, as well as the kafiyah. Both are only known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so to summarize this, we have one super extreme completely off the charts. Who are they? Mujassima. They say the mana of it is hand, the kafiyah is like he has one hand, Yadullah, Maghlullah, and all, of, all the different ajib things they say. They, they give physical shape. Then they don't have a problem. Um, Trying to declare Allah is pure from having a shape, they outright say he has a shape. Then you have the Salafis in the middle, they say, no, 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 he doesn't have a physical shape. Astaghfirullah, how could we say that? He's pure from having resemblance to his creation. They say all the good things, that's the confusing thing, part. But then they say, it has to be a hand though. The nature of the hand, we don't know. And then we have us, Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, we say, Allah has a yad. Why? Because he said he has one. Now, what is the meaning of that yad? We don't know. And what is the kafiyah of that yad? We don't know. We attribute this back to Allah. He knows best. And then you have on the extreme left, the rational Mu'tazali people. We didn't even go there yet. These individuals, the Mu'attila, they say that you can't even say Allah has a yad. So they deny these attributes of Allah. Don't say Allah has a yad. Don't say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sawt or Allah has kalam or Allah has qudra. All of the sifat of Allah, they completely Deny all of them. So they are known as the Mu'attila. Ta'atil, Mu'attil means that person who is completely powerless and handicapped. So they make Allah Ta'ala, from their perspective, handicapped, powerless, has no sifat. Because they're going so extreme in declaring the purity of Allah from all of resemblance to His creation that the final product they end up with has no sifat. And the other, so that's the polar opposite, 180 degrees from Tajseem, giving a physical shape. So we are in the middle. So we have aqidah of what? Tanzih. Tanzih means declaring Allah is pure from resemblance to His creation. Without tashbih, without saying He is, resembles His creation. Without ta'atil, without denying the sifat as well. And that's exactly where the kalam of Allah comes. So is Allah, does Allah have kalam? Yes. Does it have a sawt? Yes. But lahu sawtun laka aswatina. Not like our voice. Lahu kalamun laka kalamina. Not like our kalam. And lahu yadun la not like our yad. So this is uh, the reality of the, this masala. Now moving forward, <laughs> the another question is, we have finished with that that discussion, is that sol salatul jaras, the ringing of a bell. If there is a question, then wait a second. There are three, four hadiths where the sound is mentioned, and there are different words used. Are they contradictory or what? Because we have another hadith is coming up, it goes salatun ala safwan, where it is like the hitting of a chain on a rock. Like you take an iron chain and you whip it, hit it on a rock, on a big boulder, that type of sound. Third hadith comes up, it is nahl. It is like the buzzing of the honeybees. Buzzing of the honeybees. 
So, how do we reconcile these different ahadith? So the way to reconcile it is, if you look at the specific text. Over here, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa he says, the sound that he would hear would be like the ringing of a bell. And when he speaks about the buzzing like the bees, look at that. Kana Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, When the wahi would come upon him, those who are around him on certain occasions, they would hear the buzzing of a bee. So the buzzing of the bee is who's hearing that? Not Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the Sahaba around him. The, and number three, if you look at the hadith, it goes, إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ الْأَمْرَ فِي السَّمَاءِ ضَرَبَتِ الْمَلَائِكَةُ بِأَجْنِحَتِهَا وَدَعَانًا لِقَوْلِهِ كَأَنَّهُ صَلْصَلَةٌ عَلَىٰ صَفْوَانٍ Meaning, the angels, when Allah would send their wahi down, the angels, they would hear the voice of the striking of a chain on a rock. So the angels hear that sound. The Sahaba around hear this sound. And Nabi So what do the angels hear? The striking of a chain on a rock. What do the Sahaba around Nabi sometimes hear? The buzzing of the bee. And what does Nabi himself hear? The ringing of the bell. So this is how apparently three different narrations which give three different types of sound are reconciled by looking at the proper context. That's the next masala finished. Next masala so that we are known in our mind what's going on is that there's another ishkal in a jawab. There's an objection. Is that Wahi is such a beautiful thing, inspiration from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and a bell is such a, uh, could be even considered an evil thing, a musical instrument. So you have Shay Mahmood, a beautiful thing, the wahi, and you have Shay Madhmoom, an evil thing, the bell. Why is Nabi Wasallam saying, oh, the wahi is like a ringing of a bell? Isn't that disrespecting the wahi? Or is this type of tashbih? Tashbih means give a similitude, a simile. Is that, is that appropriate? It seems to be inappropriate. However, Nabi Sallallahu used it, so it must be appropriate. How is it appropriate? Why is it inappropriate? Because the bell, what did Nabi Sallallahu say about the bell? He said, Al-Jarsu Mizmaru Shayateen. The bell, this is the instrument of the devil. And he also said, La kalbun wala jaras. The angels, they don't uh, join such a group in which there is a dog or a bell. So, bell is a bad thing. It is the instrument of the devil, shaitan. Mizamir shaitan. So, why is he saying the wahi comes like a bell? This is an objection. The answer is the strongest, most appropriate answer I'll give at the end. There are some other answers, but the reason I'm sharing these answers is because there's additional benefits to these other answers. Because you learn about other things. Even though the answer itself is not the strongest. Which one is that? The first one is. That when Nabi sallallahu alayhi mentioned the bell is an instrument of the shaitan, what is the context of that? The context of that was that some sahaba would have bells tied to their camels and Nabi sallallahu alayhi was in a jihad and he was planning a surprise attack and they have these bells going off on their camels for a surprise dawn attack. And he said that those who have these bells, they are using the instruments of the shaitan. Take those bells off because it is foiling the whole plan. That's why that hadith comes the way it does. That's the context of it. But, so it's, that's why I said it's in, in nice to know that because we learn about the context of the hadith. However, the point still remains that, okay, even if it's not such a 
devilish satanic thing but it's not something that is so honorable either why is he giving an example of the bells if the question still remains then there is a very very important answer and that is something that we go back to basic balagha and when we learn in in arabic um, the, there is a whole science of similes and metaphors and when you give examples of something which is known as a tashbih in Arabic is that when you give a tashbih and you explain a similitude that X is like Y anything like you say Zaydun kal Asad Zayd is like a line so when you are giving this tashbih or, or describing Zayd that he is like a line then by no means does it are you indicating that he is like a lion in all aspects? So if you say Zayd is like a lion, Zaydun kal Asad, does it mean that Zayd has a huge mane? Does it mean that Zayd lives in the jungle? Does it mean that he sleeps 18 hours a day? Or, or, or right, the king of the jungle, the lioness is the one who does the hunting, right? The lion, he just sleeps, right? Uh, does it mean he never brushes his teeth, right? Remember the famous one, the kids say, oh, brush your teeth, dad, dad, and mom says, no, the lion doesn't brush his teeth. So, uh, so the, uh, or he eats raw meat. No, none of the above. Rather, the lion is known for his courage, apparently. At least in popular literature, whatever. So then, uh, so Zayd is a very brave person. So if you say, Fatima to Kalwardi, Fatima is like the rose. She doesn't grow in a garden. Hopefully she doesn't have thorns. But it means that the way Fa the, the rose is beautiful, Fatima is also beautiful. So there's always one. You know where this can get tricky? That's, these are easy ones. Sometimes it gets tricky. Because you may be comparing something very beautiful to something very nasty and ugly. But the, but the comparison is valid because you're only looking at what? One quality. It's very important. Right? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, alert, that at first glance you may have an objection. In your mind, which will be answered. إِنَّ الْإِيمَانَ لَيَأْرَزُ إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ Verily, Iman, Iman. Could there be anything more beautiful than Iman? Nothing. Iman will at the end of time come back to Medina. The way a snake goes back to its hole. So somebody will say, wait a second. Nabi Wasallam is saying, Iman is like a snake? Snake is such a pain-causing animal that causes pain by biting, as well as potentially if it's venomous, could inject venom in your body, kill you, and you could die from a snake bite, right? In fact, when you are in Hajj, in Ihram, لا تقتلوا صيدا وأنتم حرم Do not kill any animal when you're in state of Ihram. But it is permitted to kill the snake. If the snake comes into your tent in Mina, what are you supposed to do? You can kill it. Even in Ihram, no kafara, no fitya, nothing. No dumb. So Nabi Sallallahu said, Na'udhu Billah, Iman is like a snake? How can you say something like that? So Nabi Sallallahu is giving a tashbih, a similitude. He's not saying that Iman is like a snake. He's saying in one aspect. That when the snake, it leaves its hole, it goes out. And does its business. But then, at the end of the day, there are so many different holes in the ground. It doesn't get confused. Eventually, it goes back to the exact same hole it came out from in the morning. Or if it's nocturnal, maybe the same, you know, it comes out in the evening, it travels the whole night, and then it goes back to the same hole in the morning. At the end of its 
is shift. Whether the day shift, night shift. Right? It goes back to the same hole. So likewise, Islam started from Darul Hijrah, from Medina. That was the first Islamic state. Because in Mecca, they were the minority in the opposition, right? Then they got the majority. They were ruling. Nabi Sallallahu was Imam of Medina. So from Medina, Islam spread. It went all over the world. And then at the end of time, is slowly, slowly, Iman will vanish away from the entire world and it will come back right where it started from Medina. So in that one aspect of going out, spreading out, and then coming back to the original point, the way a snake does that, exactly that is how uh, Iman will come back to Medina. So this is an example. Another example of that is Rasulullah you know, when the Quraysh were attacking Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, subhanAllah, they were attacking him through poems, different forms of attacks. One of them was through Hajr, where they were attacking him through poetry and mocking him and attacking him. Na'udhu billah. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam appointed Hassan ibn Thabit al-Ansari, Sha'ir Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he said, told him, sit on the member of Masjid al-Nabwi. And he said, respond to their attacks with poems. And he said, you know, respond. Qul and ajib, give the jawab to them. May the angel Jibreel be with you and inspire you and help you. Now, one of the ways you would attack someone in the, in, through poetry in those days, when you would at- attack their lineage, nasab. You would say that, na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah, you are such a loser, your dad, your father, grandfather, great-grandfather, they are all such losers. And they would attack the whole khandan, the whole family. <laughs> and when they would praise someone, that's the same way they would praise that your grandfather, your great-grandfather, they were so, so courageous and they were so brave in battle and so generous. The two sifat, generosity and bravery. Etc., etc. So, Nabi Wasallam said, now you're going to attack the Quraysh. Now the Quraysh are the descendants of the Fahar bin Malik. And I'm also, Nabi Wasallam was what? Qurashi. He was Banu Hashim, Muhammad bin Abdullah bin Abdul Muttalib, bin Hashim, bin Abdul Manaf, right? So he said, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he told Hassan bin Thabit, be careful now, when you're going to be attacking these people to defend me, you're going to be attacking their lineage, you're going to end up attacking my lineage too. So he said, first go and revise all the lineage with Abu Bakr radiallahu Because Abu Bakr radiallahu was a living database, repository of all the lineage, not only of Quraysh, for sure he had that in his back pocket, all of the Arab tribes. He knew everyone's lineage. He was Alim of Ansab. So that's why when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would take him with him to give da'wah to different tribes, and when they would come for Hajj, etc., any tribe would come, he would give them their whole lineage. Oh, and your forefather was so great, this one, that one. They would get closer, they would feel appreciated, and then he would give da'wah. So he said, go. And he learned from him. He reviewed the knowledge of the lineage. Then he came back. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi said, are you ready? He said, I'm ready. Now look what did he say? He said, Ya Rasulullah, Abu Bakr al-Dhanu, he said, لَقَدْ لَخَّصَ لِي نَسَبَكَ وَالَّذِي بَعْثَكَ بِالْحَقِّ لَأَسَلَّنَّكَ مِنْهُمْ كَمَا تُسَلُّ الشَّعْرَةُ مِنَ الْعَجِينَ He said, O oh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, do not worry. Abu Bakr al-Dhanu gave me a review of all the lineage. Now I'm ready to attack these people. Not attack on the offense, but rather to defend you. So what's going to happen is, I'm going to take you out from all of the negative statements I'm going to give against them, the way a hair strand is taken out from the, the dough. 
the dough, when you take the bread, the flour, and you add the water in it, and you knead it, it turns into dough. So that is called ajin. Ajin is the moist dough, right before you put it in the pan. So first there's, you know, the grains, then you grind it, becomes the flour. Then when you add the water and the yeast to the flour, and it's in the it's soft, malleable form, that is known as the dough, right? Ajin. So if a woman is making the dough, kneading the dough, and a hair falls into it, then maybe we're all eating store bread now, we don't know, we can't relate to this, but perhaps maybe our mothers, grandmothers, <laughs> when they would do that, if there's a hair that falls into the atta, into the dough, is it difficult to take it out? If you haven't experienced it, you need to try it just to understand the hadith. But if, you, uh, if you, the, the hair comes out, painlessly, effortlessly, the hair, it's just, if it's a long strand of hair, mashallah, Right? So then the whole long strand will come out. It won't get stuck halfway. Will it get stuck? stuck right? If you swallow a hair, it'll get stuck in your throat. It's hard to, even after it's gone, you'll feel like, oh my God, it may still be there. In the eyeball, it gets, it gets stuck behind the eyeball. And unless it goes completely back, then it's gone, forgotten sometimes. But if it's coming out of the dough, it's not a problem, right? It's not a problem. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Subhanallah, Hassan bin Sabah said, Ya Rasulullah, I will take you out. Now if somebody says, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Where is his beautiful that, his beautiful being, the afdal al-khalq, and you're giving tashbih like a hair? So what's the jawab for that? No, no, he's not. He's not saying, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you are like a hair. Na'udhu billahi min Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He's saying that, I will take you out from there. Meaning, the, the, it's the whole scene. The fact that how easy it is to take a hair out of the, of the dough, that's how easy I'll take you out of attacking the Quraysh. Third example is that when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi came for, uh, to perform Umrah, when he saw the dream at the time of Hudaybiyah, long story, we have to know the whole history of the seerah of that too. But the one scene of it is the qaswa, the camel of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam stopped. It sat down. Alright? It didn't move forward. And they were beating it, beating it, beating it. It wasn't moving forward. There's one beautiful risala that talks about this type of scene that happened throughout history. Where the animal stops. Like Balam bin Ba'ura, his story. And this one, uh, Rasulullah Anyway, so in this incident, the camel Qaswa stopped. So, Nabi um, Sallallahu told him, move forward, but it wasn't moving. So then he said, Khala'at al-Qaswa, Khala'at al-Qaswa. The Sahaba said that this Qaswa camel is being stubborn. Why is it being so stubborn? It doesn't want to move. And they wanted to beat it. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, ما خلقت القصوى. It's not being stubborn. This is not the character of my camel Qaswa. وَلَكِنْ حَبَسَهَا حَابِسُ الْفِيلِ But he said, the one who stopped the, uh, the elephant Mahmud, you know the elephant? Mahmud of Abraha. The one who stopped the elephant of Abraha. Who is the one who stopped the elephant of Abraha? Allah. And our beloved Imam, he recited in Maghrib. He knew this is coming. What did he recite? Alam tarakayfa fa'ala rabbuka? Ashabul feel. So, so the Ashabul feel, what happened? Alam yaj'al kaydahum? Fi tadlil wa arsal alim tayran ababil. So, when Abraha was coming with his camel to attack the Kaaba, right? 
I learned the lesson from all these timestamps. No tangents. There's a whole beautiful tangent. But what happened at the end of that story is that he was stopped. He couldn't move forward. So likewise, my camel has been stopped. Meaning, it's not muqaddar. He came with the intention to destroy the Kaaba. We came with the intention to perform Umrah. But Allah didn't want him to destroy the Kaaba. That same Allah doesn't want us to perform Umrah. So when Nabi Wasallam said, Habisul Fil, that Allah who stopped the elephant has stopped us. Does that, is he saying that I'm like Abraha? And my camel is like Mahmoud the elephant? My camel, Qaswa, is like Mahmoud the elephant. And I am the rider on the camel? Na'udhu Billah, am I like Abraha? What did he come for? To destroy the Kaaba. He was coming to perform the Umrah. The, the tashbih is only in one aspect. What is that aspect? That that Allah who stopped this camel is the same Allah who stopped the elephant. That's all. So the point is taken that in this case, when the tashbih is given of the wahi with the bell, it is in which aspect? In one aspect of it is that when a bell is ringing, what is the bell telling you? Can you understand the words? Can you hear it and say, oh, which language is it? Is it any human language? Is it Arabic, English, Farsi, Urdu, all the linguistics, uh, all the languages of the world, you take it, there's no language. So that's one tashbih. It's something unintelligible, you cannot understand as a, what's going on. It's not something you understand through your ears. The meaning goes straight in the heart. Number one. Number two, the second tashbih is that it's, it's a continuous sound. So for example, if... Um, if there is a, a, a speech for one minute and there's a bell ringing for one minute, the difference is the speech for one minute, there are sentences that have set beginning and end and this is where the sound starts, this is where it ends, this is the mufum, the meaning of it. Whereas if the bell is ringing, it's a continuous ringing sound. So likewise, the tashbih is in the fact that the sound was continuous. So the sound is continuous and it and doesn't ha is not in any particular language Nabi Sallallahu wanted to convey that meaning. That's why he said it's like the ringing of a bell. Otherwise, the fact that the bell could be instrument of the shaitan or could be considered a musical instrument has nothing to do with the matter. The next thing is, Azan is going to be called soon. So we have set end time, which is a Isha Salah. Now we come to, we finish this Mithla Salatil Jaras. Now we have, it is the most strongest one for me. Why? So for example, we have the mu muha bihi and muha ilayhi. The one who is bringing the wahi and the one who is receiving the wahi. And they are two different beings. One is a malak, an angel, and one is a human being. So you have this communication from an angel to a human being. From a malak to a bashar. Now what happens is, how are they going to communicate? You know, like the Farsi poet, he says, uh, but he says, yeah, he's Farsi, he speaks Farsi. So he says, Zamane man Turki, man Turki nadanam. What am I going to do? I'm in a big problem because the one I love, her language is Turkish and I don't know Turkish. So how am I going to communicate with my beloved? Zamane man Turki, the language of my mahboob, why are you falling in love with the Turkish one if you don't even know the language, man? Right? Love someone else you can talk to. Anyway, he said, Zamane man Turki, the language of my beloved is Turki. I don't know Turkish. I'm going to communicate. I can't write a letter, nothing. So, now what happens? So, if you have an angel, is communicating to a human being. How is he going to How are they going to communicate? So, if the human being, Nabi Bashar, if he, he changes his nature, 
where he, his angelic, he has within him angelic properties and he has within him hum, uh, bashari, human properties. His angelic nature has to overcome, become ghalib and his human nature has to become maghlub and uh, less. So he is changing himself and he is coming up. He's, he's like, you know, you're changing units. He's changing into the unit. Of, he's becoming more of an angel than a human being at this time. So that he can be able to receive the wahi from the angel. This is number one. That's why it is ashaddu aliyah. And in the second one is more difficult for Jibreel alayhi salam. What happens to Jibreel alayhi salam? He says, Nabi sallallahu alayhi okay, you remain fully human, 100%. I will undergo the change. Because what happened here? Next one. The angel, he adopts the human shape. So the angel becomes like a human being. And then he speaks to me easily. As he says it, I understand it right away. So it's like the angel is, uh, is morphing into a human being and communicating human to human. It's very easy. Just like speaking to Aisha, just like speaking to beloved friend Abu Bakr Siddiq and everyone else, he speaks to this in fact, he looks like Dihya Kalbi. We cover that. Remember the handsome Sahabi Dihya Kalbi? Just like sitting and talking to Dihya Kalbi, chatting, chatting with Jibreel, receiving Wahi. Perhaps that was more difficult for who? Jibreel to undergo that change. But in the first one, Jibreel is coming in his natural, original form. It is Nabi has to make the change to come onto his level. And that is why Ashadduhu Aliyah, it was the most strong form, the most difficult form for me. And the wahi by its very nature is something that is heavy. And this has been borne out through different ayats. For example, Allah Ta'ala says, لَوْ أَنزَلْنَا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ عَلَى جَبَلٍ لَرَأَيْتَهُ خَاشِعًا مُتَصَدِّعًا مِنْ خَشْرَةِ اللَّهِ If this Qur'an was revealed on a mountain, the whole mountain would crumble from the weight of the Qur'an. Likewise, Allah Ta'ala says, إِنَّا سَنُلْقِيَ عَلَيْكَ قَوْلًا ثَقِيلًا We are going to send upon you a heavy kalam. So these ayat indicate it's heavy. Now what's happening here, another incident of Zayd radiallahu anhu, Zayd bin Thabit, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was sitting when his thigh was on the top of the thigh of Zayd bin Thabit. We're concluding our azan time is now. And then what happened is Zayd bin Thabit radiallahu anhu, his thigh felt like it was going to be crushed into dust. And Nabi Sallallahu after that he said, three words were revealed. It's not like a big surah. What was it? غَيْرُ That's an interesting part of the whole thing. Is that غَيْرُ <laughs> The meaning of it and all of that, we can't even go there. But it's just three words. If you say, oh subhanAllah, surah Baqarah, I felt the whole surah Baqarah being revealed. No, no, it's just three words. And Usime Johairan, his whole... A thigh was going to be turned into dust, pulverized. When Nabi Sallallahu would be on a camel, the camel can, you can put a huge burden of weight on the camel, but when the wahi would come upon Nabi Sallallahu the camel would sit down. So, what's happening in the Sallallahu Where is the Quran being revealed? There is, it's literally, Nazala bihir ruhul amin ala qalbik. It's the direct, without any uh, medium of language. It's not even in going through language. Because language is, like when I'm speaking to you right now, I'm speaking words uh, coming out from my mouth, going into your ears. 
and we have the words which are conveying the meanings from the speaker to the listener. The words. But there are no words here. Remember? There are no words. So the ma'ani direct. It's easy nowadays when you have like, you know, all these Bluetooth and all these different forms of, uh, of transmitting data from one device to another device. Wirelessly. It's just going, right? Subhanallah. So it's so much easier for us to appreciate. It's directly the wahi ala qalbika is being transmitted to the heart of Nabi It's a very major deal. Whereas the second scenario, He comes, number one, in human form. And he speaks to me. So this is a more natural means of communication. He's speaking. Who? He's speaking like a human being. But it's not Dihya Kalibi. Who is it? Jibreel And then Nabi hears through his ears the words. And it goes in his heart. So it's a natural method. So that's easier. Whereas this is not a natural method. I don't want to say unnatural method, I'd rather say supernatural method. Right. Perhaps. Subhanallah. So this is uh, a discussion of that. And when this would finish, وَقَدْ وَعِيتُ عَنْهُمَا قَالُ And I would be, I'm concluding here, when, the wahi, when, this, when this transmission ends, condition ends, what is my state? Subhanallah. No confusion regarding it. No, what did he say? What did he mean? Subhanallah. Uh, what is it? Allah Ta'ala says, I will ensure it is preserved in your heart. So he says here, It is completely, firmly established in my heart and I have no doubt and I have no confusion. This is exactly what the revealed word of Allah is. Okay, so inshallah we will uh, end with this next week inshallah bi'ithnillah ta'ala if Allah ta'ala's tawfiq we will cover the second one where the angel comes in the form of human being and I'll, in case I forget you can remind me we can talk about the difference between see over here is wa'aytu anhu past tense I have memorized what he has said and over here in the second one it's not fa'a'ima yaqul it's present tense what's the difference between wa'aytu and fa'a'i and uh, other differences, other discussions will continue. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us further yaqeen and understanding about uh, the nature of the wahi upon Rasulullah that this is an ultimate reality, right? Let us not forget the bottom line is that all of the doubts that people have and the confusion people have is because we have abandoned wahi. To abandon wahi. That's the reason we covered in detail why Imam Bukhari rahmatullah he starts Sahih Bukhari with the discussion of wahi. Once we believe in wahi, then it automatically be, we believe in who is the muhi, who is giving the wahi? Allah. And through the wahi is coming through the malaika, amantu billah, wa malaikati, in the form of the kutub. And who is receiving the wahi? The rasul. Amantu billah is gone, wa malaikati, kutubihi, wa rasulihi. And what is the message in the wahi? The yawm al akhir, in al qadir khairi, wa sharim Allah ta'ala, wa al ba'at ba'd al mawt. That is what the wahi is. So, the encapsulation of all the articles of faith is the belief in wahi. And that is what is under attack. And we have to have more and more yaqeen that the wahi is a reality. Wahi did come from Allah, did come through the angel Jibreel in the form of not only the Quran, Torah, Zabur, Injil as well on Rasulullah and all the Anbiya of the past. And it is the means of salvation. We must believe in it. We must have no room for doubt in it. al-kitabu. لا ريب فيه لا ريب فيه لا ريب فيه. May Allah Taala 
give us more iman and yaqeen and increase our belief in the reality of divine revelation. Wa akhir da'wana alhamdulillahi